So we're starting a new series today titled Practicing the Way, and it's our third summer in a row really digging into the practices of Jesus or the spiritual disciplines. And so we're going to start out, it's a four-week series this summer, and we're going to jump right in. And so if you're, if you're unfamiliar with spiritual disciplines, here's a definition that I love. Spiritual disciplines are physical and mental habits of Jesus intentionally followed to be with and become like Jesus. And they enable us to live in a power that is, strictly speaking, beyond us. So spiritual disciplines. So there's two parts of them. In one set, they're spiritual. They're practices of Jesus that connect us with him. In another sense, they're disciplines. So we can learn from other disciplines. You know, actually, uh, about a week and a half ago, I was talking to one of the brothers. I get an opportunity to walk through life with, with Dre Hughes. And, and we were talking about working out, and, and I was trying to make an analogy with spiritual disciplines. Because it, it enables us to live in a power that's strictly speaking beyond us. So I had this whole plan of, you know, what's your max? And then, you know, could you not do this? You know, that kind of thing. So I said, hey, Dre, like, what's your max bench press? And he's like, you know, it's about 350. And I went, 350? I mean, I'm right there too, you know what I'm saying? There's a little bit beneath that. <laughs> and, uh, and so I said, so right now you couldn't bench. It, it would be beyond you, strictly speaking. You do not have the power to bench 400 pounds right now. And he said, no, I don't. And I said, all right, but then if you, if you, but if you discipline yourself, and if you work out consistently, and if you eat the right foods and get the right rest and take the right supplements, then one day you might become Chris Maxwell, and then you can, and then you can bench 400 pounds. And, and, well, and that, that would be available to him. That benching 400 might not ever be available to me, but a man can dream. You know what I'm saying? But through disciplines allow us to have access to power that right now we don't have. So spiritual disciplines, though, they're not a, a power, it's not our power. It's not something physical that I'm working to inside of me. It's you're, you're accessing spiritual power, the Spirit and Jesus' Holy Spirit power by practicing and doing the physical and mental habits that Jesus intentionally did. And so today in this series, we're talking about some of those we can, so that we can access the Spirit's power to transform us. Right now, you might not feel at work when something bad goes wrong. And when someone is supposed to do something and they don't, and that means more work for you. And in that moment, you respond with frustration or anxiety. And you might not feel in that moment that you have the power to respond from a place of peace. Or in that moment, you might not feel like you have the power to respond in a place of love, talking to the guy that just made you have to work more. But through spiritual disciplines, you will have access to that power to transform you. Does that make sense? So the discipline we're starting out with during this series is called a rule of, I'm sorry, it's called a rhythm of life, a rhythm of life. And the whole point of a rhythm of life is to intentionally go through your day and to decide what you do instead of unintentionally letting life choose for you. Because I don't know about you, but I can have two di very different types of days. I can have days where I am very intentional about how I go through life and how I spend my time and how I abide in Jesus. And then there's days where I can be extremely unintentional. And for me, this is what my unintentional days can look like. You know, I, I wake up, and the plan was to wake up before my kids wake up so I could sit at the feet of Jesus, but a few snooze alarms too many, and the kids waking up early, and I wake up 
to my kids screaming and anxiety in my heart. And then, and then it's the rat race of, you know, putting on clothes and brushing your teeth. And then I finally get them downstairs and get breakfast on the table. But instead of talking to them, I just whip out my phone and start scrolling. Or for me, it's usually, hey, I'm going to get a head start on my emails for the day. And I'm distracted from my boys. Then I get to work and, and I get to ministry and, and I realize I'm in the same exact place today that I was yesterday and the day before. That I have more to do today than I physically have time for. So then the rat race starts and I fly from one thing to the next, challenging my mind to think faster, to be more creative and to produce more in a shorter amount of time. And then I get some negative feedback at work or someone did something wrong or it's a hard conversation I have to have. And like I shared earlier, I respond from a place of anxiety and I respond from a place of frustration. Or for me, I, I more naturally try to blow it off and make light of it because I don't feel like I have time to deal with it in the moments. Then when I get home late again for dinner, I pull in my driveway and I look and I remember, God, why doesn't grass ever stop growing? <laughs> and I say a silent prayer, God, please give me time this weekend to mow my grass like I didn't have the last two weekends. So then we fly through the whirlwind of dinner, the dinner routine with the boys, and I try to spark some kind of conversation with my boys, but I realize I only have emotional scraps from my busy day. Or is it my busy life? And then during dinner, you know, we were supposed to have family group that night. You know, during dinner, we get a last minute text that, hey, family group has gotten shifted to virtual. And I silently rejoice, oh, thank God. And then I immediately disciple myself, like, what, what do you mean, thank God? Like, you're, 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 you're rejoicing, you don't have to leave the house instead of being able to have the opportunity to see the close relationships and, and community in Christ? Where does that come from, Jordan? But we have Zoom family group, and then after Zoom, Toy and I say, hey, let's just watch one episode on Netflix. And then two hours of the office later, <laughs> it's, it's past our bedtime, and, and the dishes are still not done. And so I, I just, I'll do the dishes. You know, and I get to do the dishes. And in that moment, it, apparently it's a great time for Toy to bring up, hey, babe, I don't feel connected to you. And in that moment, it's every ounce of spiritual discipleship I have to not grab a plate and throw it through the window. <laughs> what do you mean? Like, I, how do you expect me to have any more to give with our busy life? And then and I don't say that, but I, I just am silent and just, <laughs> that's the best I can do. But we kind of get through that conversation. And then uh, after the chores are done, we get through that conversation, barely awake, I open my Bible because I want to hear from the Lord for about 120 seconds. Of, this is all I got. And I happen upon this verse in Matthew 11. And Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in hearts, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Am I the only one that can experience a day like this? And then when I read this verse late that night, I go, God, I'm so weary and I'm so burdened and I think I'm following you, but the last thing I'm experiencing is rest for my soul. And, and 
I throw up a quick prayer, God, help me to wake up tomorrow morning, even though I'm not getting enough sleep, with enough time to sit at your feet, and then I go to sleep. Am I the only one that's had a day like that? That's unintentional. That, uh, that has a Christian faith, but an atheistic lifestyle. That's unintentional. That where I just get pulled from one thing to the next without ever intentionally trying to figure out what's happening. And I'm wondering why I'm responding from a place of anxiety at work or why I'm responding from a place of frustration with my wife. But it's because of this truth that our lifestyle, your lifestyle is perfectly designed to give you the life that you have. Your lifestyle, so your habits, your patterns, the way you, your schedule, the way that you go through life is perfectly designed to give you the life that you currently have. So the life, whether your inner life is a place of peace or if your inner life is a place of anxiety, whether you're experiencing a rich abiding sense of holistic love in your life or whether you're experiencing borderline frustration at all times. Whether you're experiencing, whether the life you're experiencing is that bios life that we talked about a couple weeks ago, where it's just existing, rather than the Holy Spirit-filled Zoe life, life to the full from Jesus. What you're doing today is perfectly designed for your inner life to become where you're at currently. Does that make sense? One way of wording it is first you make your choices, and then your choices make you. This is by Andy Andrews, where you, if you decide to be unintentional in your life, that decision is going to make you into something over time. And it's going to build something. It's going to form something in you, whether you like it or not. If you decide unintentionally, you're letting the world decide for you. Verse an intentional rhythm of life. But the truth is, is that we're always becoming someone. But our culture doesn't ever want us to stop and think Who's, who am I becoming? Our culture never wants us to stop and think that. So, wait, and, and who we're becoming in this digital materialistic age. So I do want to take a second and talk about our culture. Is that cool with you guys? We live in a culture, first of all, of speed. We all feel the pressure to produce more in a shorter amount of time. We push ourselves to fly from one thing to the next while constantly taking in as much stimulation as physically possible from our phones. Who is that making us become? We live in a culture of more, where you have to have more money, and I have to have a newer iPhone, and I have to have better clothes, and I have to have a bigger house, and I have to have a more luxurious car. I got to have more happiness, and I definitely have to have more episodes of Mandalorian and Stranger Things. And, and it reminds me of this quote from Comer that if Satan can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. Who is all that culture of more making us become? And we live in a culture immersed in the digital age. You, you know, there's a stat out there that 93% of millennials sleep with their phone right next to their bed. And neuroscientists are telling us that this is the worst possible thing we can do to sleep with our phone next to our bed and for our phone to be the last thing we look at and the first thing we look at. They, they, they tell us that the last thing you take into your brain before you go to sleep and the first thing you take into your brain in the morning shapes your brain more than anything else you do. And so if the last thing you look at at night is soft porn on Netflix, 
And the first thing you look at in the morning is social media, people that look better than you and that look happier than you. Who is that making you become? Now, don't hear me wrong, okay? I am so grateful that I get to go fast in my car instead of walking, all right? I'm so grateful to have the times with my family and my wife watching great movies on Disney+. And I love my iPhone. If you don't have an iPhone, you need to, like, repent, okay? Like, I love, I love my iPhone. <sighs> don't take that too seriously. All right, all right. I'm not making a case to abandon our modern technologies. That's not what I'm doing. But what I am saying is that we have to. We have to take a step back and say, who are we becoming? Who am I becoming? When was the last time you binge watched your favorite episode, your favorite TV show on Netflix for a few hours or scrolled on Instagram for a few hours and then afterwards took a deep breath and went, man, I feel so connected to the presence of God right now. Like, I'm so content with my lot in life. Like, I love my body image after looking at all that on Instagram. Like, that's, that's not where we're at. Usually it's filled of, with shame and guilt of, I don't look like that, or I don't, I'm not that happy, or man, this make-believe thing on Netflix, I want that. Why don't I have that? And I just wasted so much time. I'm late to go to sleep again. I'm going to be tired. In the, it's, it's making us into something, folks. All this does something to us. Who are we becoming? Because if we don't ask ourselves who we're becoming and intentionally change it, then we'll get swept up into whatever society wants us to become. That's a scary place. So who do you want to become? Who do you want to become? You know, there's not a person alive that doesn't long for an authentic peace and love and joy deep in their being. No one out there is saying, you know what, I want to become a more anxious person this year. Put it on my New Year's to-do list, right? Like, nobody, everyone wants that deep peace, but it seems so far away. Why do we desire that? Where does that come from? Well, I would say that comes from our desire to become more like God. Like in a healthy sense, like deep down in our souls, there's an inerrant desire to live out our calling to be image bearers of God. And God is constantly calling us back to him in that and Jesus kind of is going to pick up on this conversation for us in John 15. And we're going to read a big section of passage here where he is going to get at what is the spiritual formation process? How can we become more like him and bear fruit, bear his fruit? So we're going to pick up on John 15 and verse 1. And we're going to read a big section here. John 15 verse 1. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Continuing in verse 5. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruits. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory 
that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And continuing in verse 9. As the Father loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's command and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Do you see where he lands right here with who we want to become? Where we can experience agape love, love from the Father. And that you can not only just experience joy, but you can have so much joy that your joy is complete. What an incredible being to become. And yet Jesus again and again and again references the same word, remain. Actually, in these 11 verses, he uses that word remain 11 different times. You know, it can be translated in different verses, in different translations, uh, to remain, to abide, to stay with me, to stay joined to me, to remain united to me. I love this, to abide in loving union with me, or in the message, to remain intimately at home in my love. What's he getting at again and again and again right here? He's saying that to walk through life in deep, intimate relationship with me, to make your home in me. And he says, if you remain in me and you make your home in me, walk in loving union with me, he says, if you remain in me, you will bear much fruits. He says, you will bear fruits. I'm a dad now, all right? I just got to every once in a while, you know what I'm saying? I got to put in a little, little dad joke. You guys don't think it's funny. My kids don't think it's funny. I think it's funny. And that's all that matters, all right? You will bear fruit. But right, he says that if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. It's not that you might bear fruit. It's not that hopefully you'll bear fruit. It's that you will bear fruits. And this fruit, of course, has a dual meaning. Just like all fruits, a fruit is a mini tree, so it's a mini vine. It's a mini Jesus that we have to help other people become followers of Jesus. But then also, it's the fruit of the spirits. And he gets down in verse 9 and verse 11, right? It's the fruit of love. It's the fruit of joy and a joy that is complete. This is Jesus' language for spiritual formation. The process of becoming like to forming yourself into or him forming you into him, to developing a deep inner peace and love, to him, it's very simple. What's the spiritual formation process to Jesus? Well, it's really simple. Just remain in me. That's it. Just, just remain in me, and then I'll bring forth the fruits. Amen. To walk with Jesus, the man that perfectly lived out life to the full in the kingdom of God, who truly showed us how to live as human beings, full of love and joy, he fully in, enjoyed the presence of God. And he says, I'll bear that same fruit in you, that that life is possible in you. Isn't that what we all long for? But how? All the pragmatics in the room said, but yeah, how do I get there? And that's awesome. Thanks for asking. <laughs> in this world of speed and digital materialism, how do we intentionally slow down and walk intimately in relationship remaining in Jesus? How do we do that? You know, this question is an age-old question because... Our modern age, it's not like the human condition has changed. Humans have always focused more on the, the physical, on the shallow, than deep. So it's an age-old question. And the ancients, the answer to this question, they called it a rule of life. 
a rule of life. Who here has heard of a rule of life before? Who's here? So it's so very few of us. This is a new teaching for us. That's great. Um, you know, a rule of life was, uh, it goes back to like St. Patrick and the Celts, probably even earlier to like the 200s of the second century, but it was popularized by St. Benedict in 527 for his monastery, where he made a rule of life for his monastery. And, and this kind of sounds weird to our modern ears, like a rule of life. What, what does that mean? Check first. It's not plural. It's not rules for life, okay? It's singular. It's rule. It's a rule of life. But the Latin word here uh, used for rule is regula. And the scholars argue about if that word was used in a trellis in a vine, for like in a vineyard. But either way, the concept of a trellis is a beautiful metaphor that I want to talk about. Because it's the law, like thinking about a vineyard and a trellis and, and vine bearing fruits or fruit bearing vines is the logical conclusion to Jesus' teaching in John 15. Are you following me? So, what is a trellis system? Well, a trellis system is the structure used to support the vine and the branches, right? It would be, right, it's the wooden structure and the wiring that hold up the vines. It's a structure used to support the vine and the branches. So it lifts up the branch off the ground, it angles it in the right direction, and it gives space for the fruit to grow. It is literally designed to help the branch remain in the vine and to bear much fruit. In the wild, without the trellis system to give it space, it only bears a fraction of the fruit it bears with a trellis structure in place. And not only does the fruit not have the space to grow, but it also is on the ground where it's susceptible to animals and to disease and just all that kind of stuff. But in the same way, a trellis system intentionally provides a structure to the branch. A rule of life intentionally provides a structure for us to give us space to enjoy loving union with God. Now, if that's hard to follow, here's two definitions that I love. This is by Stephen uh, McKayah from his book on a rule of life. He says that a rule of life is a holistic description of the spirit-empowered rhythms and relationships that create, redeem, sustain, and transform. Or John Mark Comer, whose teaching on spiritual disciplines has really helped me, and even for this lesson, have really guided my thoughts. He says that a, a rule of life is a schedule or a set of practices and a, in relational rhythms that create space for us to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what he would do if he was us. The whole concept of a rule of life is to move through life intentionally. And to decide that I'm going to intentionally make decisions and choices because I know the choices are going to make me. And I'm going to choose about how I'm going to spend my time and what habits and what rhythms. Because if we don't go through life intentionally, then we're letting the world decide for us. Are you following me? But I know that word rule, like a rule of life, kind of sounds like, what do you mean rule? Like, am I controlled by something? And instead of trying to go into that deeper because it's not what it's about. We're going to call it here at North River, we're going to call it a rhythm of life, all right? You're welcome for giving you easier language. <laughs> but really, it's all about rhythms. It's like, what are my day-to-day, -day, my week-to-week, -week, my month-to-month -month rhythms of life, and are, do they help me abide? Do they help me remain in Jesus? You know, so this can include physical things. Like, how much time do you sleep? Or am I sleeping enough to enjoy, mental, to enjoy the presence of God the next morning? That should be in a rhythm, right? How much you budget? 
Like, are you spending your money in a way that helps you remain in the vine or taking you to become something else? Of course, spiritual rhythms are a part of this, right? How often and when do you spend time in silence and solitude? How often do you fast? When do you spend time in communion with people that you trust to really help you? There's, there's mental rhythms to, to put into it, right? What's the relationship like with your phone? Are you controlling your phone? Or are you letting your, your phone control you? There's relational rhythms in it. How, how often, when am I going to spend time with my family? When am I going to spend time with my best friends over coffee talking about our lives and talking about the word? When are you going to go on a date with your, your, uh, your, your girlfriend or boyfriend or with your spouse? For Toy and I, part of our uh, rhythm of life is to go on a date every Thursday night. If, if you try to call me on Thursday night, I ain't answering, all right? I'm talking to someone better. You know, well, okay, take that the right way, all right? <laughs> better for me, all right? <laughs> But we need that. We need that time to get away. And, and if it's not in the budget to go out, then we just, for free, go down the river. And that time to connect on a weekly basis and to spend time talking through the week together and to escape from our wonderful children. <laughs> it's important that that happens weekly because they're very loving and all-consuming. But we're focusing on making a rhythm of life this week at North River, okay, guys? We're focusing on this. We're going to focus on that this week and next week. And we're encouraging in all of our family groups to, to really talk about this together and to go through building a rhythm of life in community together with one another. And so um, what I'm going to do now is going to kind of get practical for us and first gives us some keys to success on making a rhythm of life for yourself, but then also talk about a practical way to make a rhythm of life. Sound good? All right, so as we're intentionally scheduling practices and relational rhythms to abide in Jesus, a rhythm of life, here are keys to success. First of all, start small. If you're anything like me, I make about 25 different uh, yeah, New Year's resolutions every year, and about, about January 4th, only one of them is happening, and about February, none of them are happening, all right? So we're not trying to bite off more than we can chew. We're trying to start small. So if you're new to Christianity... And you're not even having a quiet, you, you, you never read your Bible. Hey, that's okay. Welcome to the family. For you, it might be just every morning, instead of sleeping with your phone next to your bed, maybe for a lot of us, we need to go down and get an analog clock, you know, so we, or go put our phone in a different room. And first thing, instead of waking up in the morning, your, your simple rhythm of life you want to add is I want to spend 10 minutes a day either reading a psalm or in prayer or just enjoying loving union with God. That's just a start. Start. Small. Don't bite off more than you can chew. Number two, subtraction, not addition. Don't hear me wrong. I don't want to add more to your over-crazy, not enough sleep, anxious lives, okay? I don't want to add more. What I want you to do is to, what I'm calling you to do is to take out the stuff that is not making you remain in Jesus. So subtract those things and then to replace it with the things that really matter. You know, the average millennial is on Facebook products two hours a day. That's not Netflix, that's not TV, Facebook products. So if you subtracted out an hour of Facebook products from your life, and you filled 30 minutes of that with silence and solitude of God, and then 30 minutes of that of just free space, just margin, so that you can let a random person call you or experience kind of the unexpected, subtraction more than addition. Does that make sense? Number three, take into account your phase of life. So for Latoya and I, with two young children, our rhythm of life looks very different than when we were single. That's extremely healthy. 
And, it, and, and I'm told that looks very different from when your kids are in high school. And that looks even more different than when you're an empty nester and your kids are out of the house. Can I get an amen from all the empty nesters? Yeah. Walt Reddick shouted louder than I've ever heard him before in the 9 a.m. when I said that. He was like, amen. <laughs> but take into account, take into account if you're an introvert, or if you're an extrovert, take into account those things. But the whole goal is how do I remain? How do I abide in Jesus? And then lastly, this is a means to an end. A rhythm of life, the spiritual disciplines, how much you pray, how much you sleep, how do you budget, your, 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 how much you spend time in the Word, all that is not the end. Any more than a trellis system is the, is the thing that a, an owner of a vineyard would brag about. He wouldn't come and say, dude, look at these wooden posts in the ground, aren't they awesome? <laughs> like, no, he would say, check out my glass of wine. Check out how, how incredible this is. The same thing, it's a, this is a means to an end. It, the goal is to abide in Jesus. So if your rhythms don't help you remain in Jesus, don't, then they're not getting you to the, the place. And that also keeps us away from legalism. Because the last thing we want to do is to be a church where people come and say, well, I fast more than you, and I read my Bible more than you, and I Sabbath better than you, so I'm a better Christian than you. The goal is to abide in Jesus. Now, those things are healthy, tried and true, ancient practices that help you abide in Jesus, but really, they're, they're not the end of themselves. Does that make sense? So there's the keys to success. Now, what I want to encourage all of us to do and invite everyone to join in is to create a rhythm of life for yourself. And so here's some keys to success, but then here's a four-step process that Comer used that I think was so great. I wanted to give to you guys also. So we're talking about this for the next two weeks on Sundays. I want to encourage everyone to take two weeks to start to go through this process. Number one, to create a rhythm of life, uh, start with a time or habit audit. And what that means is you, you, you look at how you spend your time every day or the habits you do every week, and you figure out, where does my time go to? Because remember, how you decide to choose what you do with your time, it's going to make you become into something, right? So for, where, how do I use my time? What are my habits? What are my practices? And figure that out. Do that embarrassing act of checking your screen time on your phone, because that doesn't lie to you. And figure out, how much time do I go? And what, with what I'm currently spending, how much of that brings me life? into remaining in Jesus, and how much that brings me death to anxiety and anger. And then, and then from there, step two is to draft a rhythm of life. So you get that, and you take where you're at now, then you decide what you want to throw out and what you want to keep. I love the analogy of it's like you're going on a trip. On a, so we're all going on to Trinidad in a week, and we're only taking a suitcase, right? We're not, we can't take our whole closet. And when you're packing your suitcase, you can't take everything, so you put the most important things in first. Right? You know, you start with the underwear and socks or whatever it is for you to really, well, it's really important. I hope socks are important for you. But anyways, so whatever's important for you, and you put those in first. Because the truth is, guys, your schedule is going to fill up really fast. Your priorities are going to fill up really fast. And you're going to be made to confront your limits, which is actually a good thing. But first and foremost, put in the big rocks, the big things that help you abide in Jesus the most before everything else comes your way. Does that make sense? So draft a rhythm of life. And this is a great thing to talk about in your family group. Whatever stage your process you're on, talk about, this is what I'm thinking about for my rhythm of life. What are you thinking about? What do you think about? What helps you? What did you realize for you that you need to take out? What did you realize for you you need to add? That's a great family group discussion. Not so that we can just do what everyone else is doing, but so that we have accountability and then also plan succeed with many advisors so that we can help each other in community. 
And then number three, before you commit to it, just try it out. Just try it out for a few weeks and just say, hey, how did it go doing this? What helped me? What didn't? How did I feel closer to God? What brought me further away? You just try it out. And that's another great thing to talk about in community so that you can run it by other people. And then fourthly, you revise it and you commit to it. And here's where I would encourage everyone is that after working through this in family group, I would encourage you to commit to it for three months at the minimum. Three months at the minimum. Why? Because we've all made workout plans. We've all made diet plans. And then if you do it for a week, does anything change? No, because it takes time. It's going to take a while for your soul to slow down from the rat race of this life. It's going to take a while for your heart to declutter and to be able to abide. And then even, and you will have times when you just don't feel like it. I don't feel like doing this anymore. I don't feel like waking up like that. I want to spend my money on something different. I don't feel like silence and solitude, whatever it is. In those moments, that's actually the most important times to abide. Those are the most important times to remain. Because when you take that heart and you still go to the feet of Jesus, the fruit he brings in those moments is incredible. And the life he helps you become in those moments are amazing. So we're going to go through this the next couple weeks. I encourage you guys to go through this in your family groups. Um, Comer, who I've referenced a couple times, they, practicingtheway.org, made a work or workbook to, it's like 15 pages, to go through making your own rhythm of life or rule of life. We're going to post that on our website so that you have an opportunity and some more practicals to help you develop this. But guys, I am more convinced than ever that this world and, and the powers and principalities of this world want to do everything they can to make you become more worldly. So we have to intentionally decide, intentionally make a choice, because our choices will make us, to intentionally choose how we're going to live to remain and abide in the, in the, in the vine. This is more practical than we're used to, but it's because more is on the line than what we usually talk about. It's about who you're becoming. So let's enjoy having these conversations and, to, and experience the freedom and the fruits of remaining in Jesus and, and the letting our joy be complete. And now we're going to transition to praying for communion where all this is possible. Why, why do we even have an option of choosing a different life than who the world wants us to become? It's because of Jesus dying on the cross for us and giving us an opportunity to remain and to abide in him. Pray with me for communion. Father God, I pray uh, just a prayer of gratitude for Jesus showing us how to live. For Jesus showing us what does it really look like to live fully human in the kingdom of God, in your kingdom. To walk with you with love and with joy and with peace. Thank you, God, that he made, gave us an opportunity to experience that same love and for our joy to be complete in him. God, I pray that as we take the bread that represents the body and as we take the, the juice that represents the blood, that we can remember and we can look at Jesus and be, and be filled of gratitude at how he unleashed this new way of life to us through the cross. We remember you now, and in Jesus' name we pray, amen.